Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore. I am your co-host, Andrew McPeak, and our mission here at Growing Leaders is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life. And today, Tim, we're talking about how to help uh, Generation Z, the students we're leading today, walk into 2021 with a positive outlook, right? And, and that outlook both involves how they see the world moving forward, but also how they remember what's happened behind them. And we're talking about this phenomenon because often we find that we misremember some things from our past. And you and I were sort of talking about uh, how we, that happened to us as we were kids. Yeah, super uh, important. Um, I just did a webinar this morning with uh, Dr. Andrea Archibald, a child psychologist, and we used two words, one to describe 2020, one to describe 2021. So the word from 2020 was fear for millions of people. It was just a scary year. Yeah. But the words that describe the year were F-E-A-R. Uh, it was a year that was fast. Remember, so much news yep. happened so quickly. Yep. It was a year that was emotional. Yeah. Um, so many emotions that kind of guided us instead of it was a master and not a servant. Yeah. Uh, it was a year that ab was abnormal. So many new things happened. And then it was a year that was reactive. We tended to react a lot. The, the n word we picked for 2021 was the word hope. Mm. Uh, and I think that hope is the antidote to fear. Yeah. And that's H-O-P-E. So we need to be humble. That means I got stuff to learn and grow in. Optimistic. Uh, purposeful. Mm. I think purpose gives us ambition and then empathetic toward others. So I think uh, what we got to do is make sure we're guiding the narrative and the memory yep. along the way. So yep. we're ready for 2021. Absolutely. And this is um, maybe for some, depending on the student you're working with, easier said than done. Yeah. Um, and, and the big reason why is uh, we as human beings, especially once you're when you're younger and your brain is still developing, oftentimes our memories don't always serve us yes. in the uh, in the best ways. Oh, so this is true. Um, so I know I, I want to share a couple of things from my growing up, but I thought maybe you wanted to share well, first. Well, I'll start first because I think yours are funnier. We, we <laughs> listeners, we chatted about this briefly beforehand. So you may have had this experience. Have you ever visited the home that you grew up in? Maybe you live states away or miles away, but you go back and you remember that house was really big. Yeah. But when you go back to it, you go, that's kind of a small house. Yeah. That's because you got big. You yeah. Know, you were just right. a tiny little tyke there. And, you know, but it's a memory. I would have sworn those houses were gigantic that yep. I grew up in. And they're, they're nice, but they're pretty small. Yep. That happens to me when I drive by my childhood home as well. <laughs> yeah. The thing that I thought of, though, is I was notorious, as were a lot of kids honestly, when the radio was a lot more popular than it is today, at misremembering or mishearing lyrics of songs. Yes, yes. You know, now today a kid hits play on their phone, they got the lyrics right next to the play yeah. button. That wasn't always true. <laughs> it wasn't true when you were listening on the radio. So a few of my favorites I, I wrote down were, do you remember that song Sweet Dreams Are oh, Made yeah. Of This? Oh, yeah. I remember I, I actually thought it was Sweet Dreams Are Made Of Cheese. Of Cheese? Cheese, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, all right. And and for some people, they are That's made right. of cheese. <laughs> My favorite one might have been, uh, do you remember that song, I Can See Clearly Now? Oh, yeah. I Can See Clearly Now. So I actually thought it was, I, I Can See Clearly Now, Lorraine is gone. Oh. <laughs> she was clouding your, your yeah, experience. Yeah, it, it was troubling, yeah. yeah which That's some right. people have maybe uh, known Lorraine a Lorraine. Lorraine might have messed them up. Yeah, Who it's knows? true. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, and, and then the, the Elton John classic, um, Tiny Dancer. Yeah. I actually, as a kid, thought it was, Hold Me Closer, Tony Danza. <laughs> Which, of course, it's not. <laughs> no, not a song about no, that at all. No. But, that's, but that happens. And probably everybody's laughing right now thinking that's about true. moments that they had. Um, but there is actually, there's terminology yeah. 
uh, for this concept uh, that often happens to us. Yeah, so the colloquial uh, word that, or term that we use is the Mandela effect. Uh, it just describes how we remember something and are swearing that it's accurate. Yeah. We're just sure it's accurate yeah. because we've told it and told it and retold it. Uh-huh. We've had other people's tell the story. Yep. Uh, other people's, other people other I people, speak yes. for a living. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, the Mandela effect, of course, was taken from Nelson Mandela, the great South African leader. Uh, the phrase was coined around mm, 2009 and used to explain a phenomenon where many people around the world believe that the South African leader, Nelson Mandela, died in prison in the 1980s, but yeah. he didn't yeah. at all. Um, in fact, he was released in 1990 and later served as the president of the country. Yeah. In fact, he didn't die until 2013 at the age of 96. But the, the story is simply a reminder, a placeholder. We can experience things. It locks into our head but it keeps getting reconstructed. We're going to yep. talk about that in just a minute. Yep. Where we keep thinking it was this way. In fact, we can get out of 2020 yep. and have bad memories yep. when they shouldn't have been bad at all, but we need to we need to guide our memories. That's Absolutely. And this happens especially when we hear somebody else say that memory. Yeah miss say that memory it actually reorients the memory for us so there's all kinds of examples of this happening culture wide so uh, a few funny ones from culture um if you've ever seen the movie star wars the empire strikes back the second one that was made we remember the famous line from that movie as luke i am your father darth vader darth vader says luke i am your father that's not actually what he says in the movie right but that's how we'll say it it's actually no i am your father He's correcting Luke in a yeah. conversation. But right? SNL has done sketches. Exactly. Where, yeah, yes. You know how that goes. And yeah. all of a sudden it becomes something else. Yes. Same thing's true with uh, a peanut butter, a famous peanut butter brand that many people swear is Jiffy, yeah. right? Have you ever had some Jiffy oh, peanut yeah. butter? I have, I think. Actually, you haven't because okay. it's Jiff peanut yeah. butter. It never had the extra FY. Uh, but lots of people think that what happened is Skippy, which is another peanut, peanut butter, butter brand, yeah. sort of merged with Jif, and it became Jiffy. It's doubly good. It is doubly yeah, good. Yeah, that's right. that's right. And then, of course, another one, uh, famous one, is from the the classic animated movie Snow White. Yeah. Where she, where the um, uh, the Wicked Queen says, "Mirror, mirror on the wall." Do you remember yeah. that? Oh, I do. Well, that's not actually what she says. Oh, I remember wrong. Yeah. Then. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> she actually says magic mirror on the ah, wall. Interesting. But interesting, these are just all instances yeah. where other people's misremembering sort of continues to shape the cultural memory of that moment. And it happens with things other than movies and peanut butter brands, Absolutely. of course. So the way this has happened in most families, just to illustrate listeners, is Uncle Bob, who caught that fish yeah. you know, 20 years ago. The fish has gotten bigger with yeah. every year. Yep. You know, at first it was a large fish. Now it's this gigantic monster. From Four the footer, yeah. That, yeah, that it took him two hours to pull out. Yep. Um, now we're laughing, but the point is he actually believes that was this big fish because the story gets retold and yep. retold and retold yep. and reconstructed in his mind. Absolutely. So this is could be a challenge that young yeah. people face today, and that's why I think the um, sort of mission before us, yes. I'd like for you to lay it out for yes, us. It's really absolutely. two parts. Really. It is. Yeah. So the two parts are simply this. We need to guide the people we're leading, particularly the students we're leading, to come out of this past year and this pandemic we're in with an accurate memory, so we need to make sure they remember it accurately. Correctly, yeah. But then a positive narrative. Yeah. So even with all the good and bad stuff that's happened, I can still come out with a a positive story. Not a made-up story, but a positive story. So, Andrew, quite frankly, the number one illustration of what I'm talking about happened a few years back when I went to a family reunion. Okay. So my sisters and I huddled together for part of the, the party, and we started reminiscing. 
And, you know, that's always fun with siblings because you all remember different things. We remembered certainly the, the vacations we took and the boyfriends and girlfriends we had and the meals that mom cooked. But um, when it got to our actual parents, and specifically dad, I had a very positive memory and my sister not so much. Mm. Now, clearly, he might have been more natural leading a son than a daughter. But the point was, we're telling stories. I go, I don't remember that at all. Yeah. Well, I didn't remember that at all. Yeah. And the point of, it's exactly what we're saying now. Did all of this happen? Perhaps, but some of it's been reconstructed so often. And I, thankfully, I don't think I can take any credit of my own. I think mm -hmm. I have my mom's DNA that is just very optimistic. But I come away with a positive memory. Dad led me well, and I'm so grateful for the leadership. He just passed away last year mm. at 90. Yeah. But, but, but my older sister, it was still something she wrestles with even to this day, decades into her life. And it's interesting that there's a connection there. When your memory of the moment starts to wobble a little yeah, bit, I'll morph, use that word, yeah, uh, yeah. it starts to morph as well the narrative that yes. you developed, right? Yes. If I remember negative things all of a sudden, then I think, oh, well, my childhood might have been negative, or that experience was negative, or that person was negative. And so a false memory or a, or a reconstructed memory can lead to a, a false narrative. So this term you brought up, Andrew, is developed by psychologist Dan McAdams and Kate McLean, but narrative identity is a person's internalized and evolving life story. So can I say that again? Uh, narrative identity is a person's internalized, so you got it inside your brain, an evolving life story, integrating the reconstructed past and imagined future to provide uh, life in some degree of unity and purpose. So we make our life fit, but it could be very, very negative where we're angry mm -hmm. at the past, at something we can't change. And I, again, I'm just going to lobby for in the remaining minutes we have, we've got to guide the narrative that our kids construct in their yep. heads coming out of a very difficult time into a time where they go, I got stronger that year. Yeah, it was hard, but I got stronger. Yes, so. absolutely. And I think that's exactly the point is this would be important at any year with a young person, right, to help make sure that their narrative identity was forming accurately. But in a year like the one we just had, where yeah. there's so many difficult situations, it's easier than ever for them yeah. to form a narrative identity that is negative or unhelpful. And so that's why we're at greater risk and why this is such an important topic yeah. right now. Yeah. So you might be thinking, listeners, well, um, how does our how does this happen inside of our brain? How, how do we get this distorted or morphing memory. Well, there's a number of factors uh, that play into the kind of memory we have. I remember listening to uh, a broadcast by NPR, a podcast actually, uh, called Did That Really Happen? And they begin to talk about the ingredients that go into how our memory shapes mm. our, our narrative. So four, real quick, just for you listeners. One is our expectations. So the expectations that we bring into an experience uh, are... Um, color our memories. Mm. Uh, if I expected something really great to happen and it didn't, I have a sour taste in my mouth. I expected that movie to be really good. And I go, that movie sucked. Well, no, you just had really high expectations of that movie because yeah. 50 other people said, you're going to love this movie. It's yeah. awesome. So that's number one, expectations. Number two, imaginations. So think about this. Our version of reality is shaped in our minds with each story we tell. We just like we've been saying, we imagine something happened. Yes. That that beautiful girl asked me out when mm -hmm. she really didn't, but yeah. I thought she did. I okay. asked her out and it didn't That's go a well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other podcast for another session. That is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We'll save that story. That's right. So the third one is preconceived notions. 
So we look uh, for confirmation bias. Yeah. We do this even today, and the greatest example is Facebook. Yep. You, you get fed to all the other articles and people that think like you do, and now it just drives deeper. Maybe the fake story yeah. that you bought into. Yep. Um, and then lastly, emotions. Emotions affect our memory. The level of emotion that we feel in the moment influences our memory of it, and I think that's what happened with my sisters and I. So anyway, those four ingredients go in now. We need to start talking about what do we do with all this. Absolutely, and that's where we want to go next. So obviously, we always want to be practical. What are some like small but helpful steps that we can take? And I think we've got five of them yes. uh, that can help uh, us in our leadership of students begin to just make some small changes to help them reorient and redirect that narrative identity in a healthy direction. So do you want to lead us through that? Yeah, let me set it up real quick with another line. This should be obvious, everyone, but coming out of this pandemic, this COVID-19 pandemic, has done more to the emerging generation than we think it has. Mm. Uh, suicide ideation and even completion are up in Gen Z yeah. than they were in millennials or Xers or, or boomers. Yeah. So um, I think we need to realize this may be more important than we might assume it is. So Andrew's right. We have a handful of ideas. Let's jump in. Okay. Number one, what if you took five minutes to do a Friday review with your students? So on the last day of the week, yeah. the work week, the school week, you just kind of do, to make sure that the memory's accurate, it can start getting distorted. But if you're right there in the moment, you're going to say, no, wait a minute, Josh, that didn't happen, yeah. Zach. That, didn't that was happen. Tuesday. I remember that, what that's happened. That's right, exactly. Yeah. And that didn't, you know, you didn't throw the spit water across the class. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Yeah. But, um, especially certain personalities need others to point out achievement for successes. Yeah. They're the, maybe the cynical personality that sees... Yep. The dark it was another side. terrible week. You yeah, know? yeah. And so the, I even think a pro and con list might be helpful where yeah. you're going, let's write down the positives and the negatives. What that does, listeners, when you do it for students is when you list the negatives, they go, okay, she knows or he knows yep. that this was We're being authentic, realistic. Right. Yep. But then when you list the positives, you're pointing out the silver lining, which yeah. we'll talk about in a minute, that it wasn't all bad and maybe some good came from the bad. Absolutely. So the five-minute check-in where we just review the week. Yeah, it's a really short journal time. I love that. Yeah, that's right. By the way, one last thought on that. I remember reading about Albert Einstein, that great scientist, said that he believed it took, for some people, it took 14 positive experiences to offset one negative. Wow. So we tend to be so negative-oriented, especially yeah. with all the bad they news. They carry weight, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So think about it. If you especially have a, a jaded, cynical, skeptical personality in front of you, they may need lots of positive encouragement to offset that one. Isn't it true when you get critiqued on something you did, you, you pay attention to the one bad comment? Ninety mm -hmm. people could have said, Andrew, that was a great book you wrote or a great, yep. nah, Janet didn't like it, you yep. know, or whatever. So, okay. okay. Uh, number two, the second idea is create opportunities for wins each week. Yeah. So again, especially for some personalities, you're going to need to put wins under their belt because again, all they saw was the was the loss. And this is W I N S. Yes, that's right. Yes. Not wind in the sail, but wins under yes. the belt. So this is actually um, learned industriousness. Uh, that's a psychological term where you show that hard work actually does pay off. Yeah. You're showing the hey, you made progress this week. So if you um, give small, clear wins, and I, I would say you don't really give them wins. You give them opportunities for yes. wins. Challenges you know, you know they can achieve. That's exactly what it is, yeah. So you want to give them the challenge, but you want to give them a challenge that's appropriate for them. Um, I remember my son, Jonathan, when he was younger, elementary school, 
was just finding it really difficult to open the peanut butter jar one mm-hmm. morning, actually several mornings. Yeah. And I finally decided I'm going to make this a teachable moment. So he left the kitchen frustrated. They can't open the jar. Dad opened it for me. Well, I decided I wasn't going to do it, but what I was going to do is I was going to loosen the jar. Okay. Just enough that I thought my little eight-year-old kid could maybe work really hard. And I, t- I, th- I thought, if I can get it to where it takes him about 10 seconds, and I'm going to stand next to him, encouraging, keep trying, keep trying. Maybe, well, sure enough, it worked. He came back in at my coaxing, swore he couldn't do it. We didn't swear, but mm-hmm. he told me it wouldn't work. But I coaxed him, coaxed him, coaxed him. He finally got it open. Well, after that, I never had to open the jar again for him yeah. because he realized if I work hard, there's a little payoff. Well, I created a win. That's yes, all I did. absolutely. Number three, at the beginning or end of each week, talk about the um, dark clouds and silver linings. So I alluded to this second cousin to this earlier. But um, again, this exercise is you see the positive and the negative. And um, I have found that my mentors in my younger years did this for me really well. I'd get down on myself on an art project or a writing project or something, and they would point out, yeah, but you did better than last year yeah, or whatever. So that's just important. Uh, Number four, come up with a quick version to assess your students' stress levels. So you're going to know what they're going to need from you just by assessing. Andrew, I want you to press in on this one because you actually had talked about this idea earlier, and Mm -hmm. I felt like you put it really well. It was actually something I learned from my sister years ago. She was working with somebody who she felt like was poorly communicating their emotions, right? And I think many of the students we work with fit into that category. So she came up with a technique where uh, she actually, if she felt like there was something going on, she would say, okay, I want you to give me a number and I want you to give me a word. And the number was, how are you doing on a scale of one to 10? Okay. And the word was, had to be an emotional word that described how you felt right now, mm-hmm. right? Love it. So if you're dealing with a student who struggles with emotional communication, yeah. this can be a way to sort of take the temperature and That's break good. down that barrier. And it's a really quick assessment of, I'm, I don't know if something's off here, so I can find yeah. out really quick. Yeah. In fact, quick, but yet you learn a lot about a kid. Exactly. By the, by if the they say four and stressed, you yes. know, I'm on to something. I need to, you know, invest a little bit more here. Absolutely. So one last. Um, item on this list. Together, you and your students come up with a metaphor to shape that narrative. Mm. So our whole goal is not to create a false uh, narrative or a fake memory, a false memory. That's even a term. But to say, all right, in light of what happened, what might be a good metaphor or picture? We're into images here Mm -hmm. that really guide the narrative down the road. And we have seen this work with student after student after student. I've told the story before of how I've worked with uh, some high school seniors, and they've got a metaphor to guide them into 2021, and it has worked over and over and over. So it's not just phrases or sentences that you could not remember well. Mm-hmm. A picture sticks in our head. We think in pictures. So Absolutely. That's our deal. I love that. I love that. Well, I know we talked about um, the way that the beliefs that we have, the narr- the self-narrative that we have, the narrative identity that we have can shape us. Yeah. And I would want, I just want you to tell one final story yeah. about um, the power of this narrative identity concept uh, and Absolutely. how it can shape a student's life. So one of my favorite stories in the world uh, happened decades ago, early part of the 20th century, but um, a little boy named Victor, Victor Srebriakov, he's Russian, uh, defected from the Soviet Union when there was still a Soviet Union to England. Mm. So it was an English-speaking country from a Russian-speaking country. He came over at five years old, and because he was five, it was time to start school. Mm-hmm. Well, he knew nothing of the culture and very little about the language. And so immediately his classmates and his teachers, for that matter, 
just assumed he was slow. Mm. He's remedial. He's, he's not going to make it here. Yeah. Or it's going to be really hard for him to catch up to the rest of the kids. And so that narrative that filled their brains started filling his. The way they talked to him was really negative and low expectations. Victor was put in the remedial groups in school, you can imagine. It was just an awful time. And so during, in, in his story, you can read this, during his elementary school years, it was awful. By the time he reached high school, he was about 15 years old. His sophomore teacher pulled him aside and trying to encourage him actually said something devastating to him. He said, Victor, it's okay that you're not as smart as the rest of the kids, but just try not to slow the class down. Wow. Well, you can tell that was just devastating. So he thought, as soon as I can, I'm dropping out. And at 16 years old, Victor dropped out of school. Wow. And for the next 14 years, he barely made ends meet. He lived up to the very, very low expectations everybody had of him until he was 30 years old. And at age 30, he took an aptitude test and discovered that his IQ was 162. <laughs> so he was a genius yeah. all this time. But he said in his book, and I repeat, in his book, you know, he said, my life changed almost overnight. Wow. And quite frankly, it was because he got up in the morning, looked in the mirror, and no longer saw a, a dummy. Yeah. He saw a genius. Yeah. The narrative began to change. The image he had of himself began to change. Now, listeners, let me remind you, his IQ was high the whole time. Yeah. The story is what guided how he felt about himself and how he performed. Yeah. Victor died, I think it was in 2001, the president of the Mensa Society. <laughs> So he's leading a bunch of geniuses, and he's the head genius. Yeah. So just to get the picture across, what could happen to these students that are in front of us? Who knows who they are? Yeah. Maybe it's another Albert Einstein. Maybe it's another Victor Srebriakov yeah. that we would have no idea because the story they're telling themselves is not a good one right now, even though they're loaded with potential. Yeah, that's so good. May 2021 not be a year where kids are held back by yeah. reality, but instead where we can break down and show them what's true and, and not true and, and actually begin to reform that narrative identity in a healthy way. Yeah. Thanks so much, Tim. Well, if you're thinking about ways to do this, probably one of the best ways we can suggest, it's not the only idea out there, but one of the best ways we can suggest is our tool, Habitudes. Uh, Habitudes for Social Emotional Learning teaches kids the skills they will need to accurately identify my emotions. Who, how am I feeling right now with what's going on? And begin to make better steps towards mm -hmm. self-management, self-regulation, all of those kinds of things. It's built right into that program. So if you're interested in checking out uh, Habitudes, which are images that can form leadership habits and attitudes, and how those metaphors might be might allow your students to begin to reshape their narrative identity, we invite you to go on over to growingleaders.com slash SEL and check out that program today. You can even get a free sample. Try it out today. Uh, well, as always, if you would rate this podcast, give us five stars. That gets the word out about what we're doing. Uh, if you want to share this podcast with a friend, please do so. Uh, pass it along to somebody you feel like may benefit from it. If you want to connect with us online, we are at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore, pretty much everywhere you are. And finally, if you've got ideas for this podcast, people you want us to interview, stuff you want us to talk about, shoot us an email. It's podcast at growingleaders.com. Tim, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. May 2021 be a year full of hope as you uh, sort of uh, prompted us at the beginning. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.